He comes on up this morning to preach the word. So. Thank you, church. You can be seated this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I am here with my three children and uh, Isabella, Lachlan and Kate. And we are all four of us, including, well, that's not including, plus Darren, are massive fans of your senior pastors. We really, really love them. Uh, so much. We consider them great friends, even though we were having a conversation last night talking about friends that God's put in your life. And I did notice that Lottie and Loz didn't say me or Darren, but uh, oh well, noted. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, we just really love them. We're, we're really blessed to know them. We think that Lottie is a man of God, a man of great strength. And he's a chilled customer. I don't know if you feel like this about him. Maybe you've seen a different side to him. But he seems to just absorb things that come. They just seem to kind of like dissolve as they reach him. And, uh, and we consider him a great man of God, of great strength. And we just love Lozzie, most genuine person that we've ever met. Love her so much. Actually, Daz, every time we do church planting training, he always holds Lozzie up as um, someone who is genuine in what they do. And he always talks to the women and says, it doesn't matter what it looks like for you and your um, spouse, but just make sure that you own whatever it is. And he refers to Lozzie and says that she doesn't ever try to be someone that she's not. And so we're grateful for you, Lozzie, and uh, we love that. That's wonderful. Well, we're just back from two weeks in New Zealand, and um, we'd been planning this trip for a very long time. We had uh, surprised our children. That was the plan, and, and the idea was that we'd go to Hillsong Conference, that we'd put our bags in our car like we were going home on the Saturday and just drive to the airport and put them on a plane, and we'd all go to New Zealand together. And I grew up in a church going home. And so maybe when you were a kid, you kind of went, um, you know, if you were speaking to your sibling, you'd say, do you promise? And they'd say, yes, I promise. And you'd say, do you pinky promise? Yes, do you pinky promise, double swear, or whatever you said at home. Our, our practice was, if Jesus came back right now, would you go to heaven? And, uh, and so, and, we'd, and that would be the test if we were able to go, oh, no, okay, I'm lying. Because if Jesus came back, we grew up in a very legalistic environment. And, uh, but so, I, you know, I was doubting whether or not I'd go to heaven for the three months before for this trip to New Zealand and uh, because I was just lying my my yes I was lying completely to my children and uh, and they would say where are we going um, are we going anywhere in the holidays and say oh you're going to Nana's for a week and then we'll go to Hillsong and then we'll just see after that and my husband which is a really great quality to have he's a terrible liar terrible terrible liar and so he said you know what we'll probably go somewhere after Hillsong conference and I'm a great liar. And I, I don't know if that's great for a pastor to have that qualification, but I just looked at him and was like, ah, really? Where are we going? And he was like, oh, we'll think of somewhere. It'll be a surprise. And I took him aside and said, Darren, no more. You're not talking about the holiday at all. You're terrible. You're not good at this. Keep the lying to me. I'll take care of it. And so went back to the children. They said, where are we going, mum? And I went, I've not seen any money come out of our account. I don't, I don't think Dad's booked anywhere, which was true because, you know, that's an art of great lying is you tell a little bit of truth. He hadn't booked anything. I'd booked it all. And, um, and so, oh, no, Dad hasn't booked anywhere. And uh, so we finally got to the last night of Hillsong Conference. We're all exhausted. We'd been out for Isabella's birthday. And if you've ever been to Hillsong Conference, you know how hectic it is. We were just wrecked. And uh, so we were getting a bit snappy with each other. And, um, and the kids were going, oh, it'll be good to get home. And, and I was like, yeah, it will be. It'll be great, won't it? And, uh, and then Darren said, kids, we're not going home. And I looked at him and he said, we're not going to go home tomorrow. And they went, where are we going? He said, I'm, 
I'm not telling you. I'm like, Fanning, are you serious? So we went out into the hall. I said, what are you doing? And he said, um, he said, they'll be so disappointed if they don't go home. I said, they're going to New Zealand. We live in Tamworth. They'll be fine. And he said, no, I just need to, I just need to let them know. And I said, you don't. Just, just stop talking about it, please. Please take the bags to the car. And so he did that and I went back inside and they said, where are we going, mum? And I went, oh, I don't even know what he's talking about and pretended to be really cranky and pretended. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and so that was all fine. I felt like we'd brushed it over. Darren comes back in, Lockie's in the shower, Bella is on the bed, Katie's reading and, uh, and he said, Bron, do you want me to pack this book for New Zealand? <laughs> and I just said, are you serious? And Bella went, New Zealand? And he went, because he can't lie, he's, he's like, this is his reaction, if, oh no, oh no. And he looked at Bella and went, <laughs> and, and so Kate's like, what, what's going on? And I went in and went, surprise. <laughs> and it was like, have you ever blown up a balloon and then gone, that's what the moment was like, this moment that I'd anticipated for so long that I'd lied, I'd risked my salvation in my old legalistic thinking for this lie to get this surprise across the line and I'd risked it all only to have a moment in the motel room. And, uh, and very quickly, obviously, it's awesome. We went to New Zealand. It's a surprise. Yay. <laughs> but the expectation and the reality was so vastly different that uh, it really, really uh, was quite crushing to my soul. <laughs> but Jesus is good and has restored it just in worship just now. <laughs> but uh, often we have this expectation, whether it's of people, whether it's of things, whether it's of an event like that, And then the reality is so far different that there's this huge gap between the two. And this morning, I want to bring us to something that unfortunately really causes us to have a huge gap in expectation versus reality. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where the goalposts kept moving on you, where something that was okay, you know, two weeks ago is now very definitely not okay. And the goalposts just keep shifting and you never quite know where you stand in that relationship. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where the person says, if you really loved me, you'd X, Y, Z. If you really loved me, you'd buy me more gifts. If you really loved me, you'd spend more time with me. If you really loved me, you'd give me more cuddles. If you really loved me, you'd pay me more compliments. If you really, truly loved me, you'd clean up after yourself. You know, Darren knows that experience because it, does, it depends on the day of which one of those I could actually be feeling. And uh, it might be one of them, it might be some of them, it might be none of them. But, uh, but sometimes we have that if you really loved me, there'd be a show of that. Oh, imagine my surprise when I was reading a few of Jesus' last words. And I found that not only did he say, if you really love me five times, he also shifted the goalposts on his disciples in his last words. Like, Jesus, really? Like, that's, that's behavior that we talk about, high maintenance people. Are you really allowed to do that? Well, we're going to have a little bit of a look at that this morning. He said, if you love me five times in quick succession, and if he says, if you love me, then I want to know what comes after that, because I really do love Jesus. Jesus has transformed my life. And, and this morning, if you're just here visiting and you're just rocking up to see what church is like, then you are very welcome here and we're so glad that you're here. But you actually might not really love Jesus 
But it's still good for you to know this, right? Because you want to know if you are ever going to love Jesus, what it looks like and what it needs to look like for you in order to do that. Also, if you're visiting here this morning, you can judge the people that you do know say they love Jesus by whether or not they're doing this. In fact, you're allowed to do that. The thing is that it's not allowed the other way around. The people that love Jesus aren't allowed to love, aren't allowed to judge you if you don't love Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? If you've ever felt judged by church, that's not what's supposed to be going on. The Bible says we're actually not allowed to judge those outside the church. So that's for free. Um, okay, so five times, quick succession, if you love me. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. John 14, 15. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. John 14, 21. If anyone loves me, he will obey me. John 14, 23. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, John 14, 24, and you are my friends if you do what I command. In quick succession, just one after the other, bang, bang, bang. If you love me, you'll do what I command. If you love me, you'll do what I command. If you do what I command, you really love me. If you do what I command, you're really my friend. If you love me, you'll do what I command. Now, here's the funny thing for me, is that I think commands is something that we largely get about church. In fact, maybe before you came to church, you associated church with commands. Maybe before you came to church, that was one of the things that was stopping you from coming because you're like, I know that there's so many commands that I have to fulfill. And here's Jesus, and everyone says, well, Jesus isn't about the rules. He's about relationship. But yet here right now, he's talking about relationship and associating commands with relationship. So if you love me, you will obey my commands. What does he mean? There's 613 commands in the Old Testament. Are we supposed to do all those? J.S. McCormack in 1925 categorized Jesus' teaching into seven categories of 21 commands, which works out to be 100 commands and 147, something. A really big number of commands. And are we supposed to fulfill them? Because let me tell you, I love Jesus. Like, I love him, and, and if that's what he wants, I'll try. I will do it. I will do my darndest because I love him and I need him in my life. You see, my life is such that I should not be experiencing the favor and the love poured out towards me that I do. I've done enough wrong and enough stupid things in my life that myself and my family should not be what it is. It is a picture of grace. It is beautiful, and, and the guilt and the shame that I should feel every single day of my life is gone. So I need Jesus and I love him because of that. So if that's what he offers, if if it's 147 commands, I'm onto it, I'll do it, I'll do whatever I need to do, Jesus, because yes, I love you. But in fact, in these short statements, they're actually bookended by two statements where he gives them a new command, a kainos command, it's called. It's, It's called a command that's new in that it's unlike anything that he said before. He said, this is a new command I give you. It's like the new wine that he talks about. It's a new creation that he says that we are. It's unlike anything that went before it. And he bookends these, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, with this new command. And it's John thirteen thirty four. You probably know it. A new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the first And then the last one is, this is my command, love one another. Now I know you're all like, "Ah, thanks Lottie for inviting the guest speaker. She just told us to love one another. Uh, We knew, we know that, Bron, we know that. But what I want to ask you this morning is how are you doing with this? Loving one another. Because yes, we know it. 
Yes, we know it, but I'm talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about the person that greeted you on the door. I'm talking about the person three rows in front of you. I'm talking about the person that when you see them coming, you hope they haven't seen you so you don't have to greet them. I'm talking about the people in your lives, not just in this church, but broadly, maybe from your last church, maybe from your church when you were a kid, the Christians in your life, how are you going with your love for them? You know, there's this... uh, kind of nebulous, yes, I love God and I love people, and, but I really want to really ask a question of your heart. Do you love the Christians that God's put in your life? Now, if you're visiting here this morning, you're saying, what, like just the Christians, aren't they supposed to love us as well? Like, aren't we supposed to love the world? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Yes, absolutely. They're supposed to be loving both. I had a child and when my second child came along, I thought, how on earth am I supposed to love this child like I love my first child? And then I figured out that actually I can love both. It's not either or, it's and. But Jesus very specifically commands here that we love one another. Now, what does this not look like? It doesn't mean that you have to click with everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to be besties with everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to have all the same hobbies and interests and that you're going to be best friends and bosom buddies. But do you love them? You might say, Brian, I'm just shy. Like, that's why I never joined the pastoral care team. That's why I'm on the count team, so I can just get behind the scenes and I deal with the money rather than with people. But Jesus didn't say, a new command I give the pastoral care team that you love one another. He said, a new command I give you that you would love one another. He's asking it of every single one of us. You might say, Bron, I find Christians really hard work. And amen. <laughs> like, you know, some, you know, we're all sandpaper, aren't we? Some of the sandpaper that just really is so fine that you just polish glass with it. Some sandpaper paper is so rough that you buff the corns off your feet with it. And there are some of those people maybe in this room for you today. No one else does that. Okay. <laughs> it is hard. Family dynamics are hard. That's the truth. But that's why Jesus needed to command it. He didn't command stuff that just came naturally to us. He commanded stuff that was hard for us. I notice nowhere in Jesus' commands does he say, eat three meals a day because that just comes naturally to me. He didn't need to command that, but he did need to command that we would love one another. So how? Because I'm, I'm like you. I don't want to be an inauthentic, weirdo, fakey face, smile person on a Sunday like, hey, great to see you. Oh, my gosh. Like, please get me out of here. I don't want to be inauthentic. I want to be genuine. I want to be down to earth. I want to be real. So how do we love each other? How are we supposed to love each other despite the fact that naturally we might not particularly like each other? And yet Jesus commands that we love each other. Loving the community is... So much sexier, isn't it? Oh, I just love the community. I just love the people out there. I'm not so fussed on Christians. Like, I, I prefer non-Christians. I don't really like Christians. And I just find Christians weird. And, like, can I just tell you that that's a weird thing to say because you're a Christian. And so, you know, you're saying that about yourself. It, it's also, like, not new news. Like, yes, yeah, I'm sure. But number three, maybe you're weird. No, that's not number three. Number three is 1 John 4.20, which says that, If you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you claim to love God who you cannot see? If you grew up in Sunday school like me, you know 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. One another. Thank you, Sister Anna. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. 
there's a whole lot of love going on in that verse. And essentially it's saying that we have to love each other because God is love. And I know we get so much, we talk so much about loving the people outside these walls, but let me be really honest with you. I find that so much easier. I can say that because this isn't my home church. I find that so much easier than loving the people inside the church because I've got to associate daily with the people inside the church. I've got to see the way that they look at me sometimes and wonder if they really like me. I've got to deal with my own insecurity inside the church. I've got to deal with other people's insecurity inside the church. I don't have to deal with that with people that I barely know. But the people that God calls family to me, I have to deal with that. And so I want to talk about how. How are we going to love each other? How are we going to love each other? And let's go back to this passage where Jesus says it five times. And let's set up the context of what he's saying. And it's John chapter 13. It says it was just before the Passover feast that Mel so beautifully brought us around this morning. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knows where he's come from and where he's going. He knows that he's going back to where he came from. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So that's the context. He's now about to show them the full extent of his love. And how does he do that? The evening meal was being served and the devil had already been had already prompted Jesus, uh, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew in this moment exactly who he was, exactly what his mission was and exactly what he'd come to do. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. You see, Jesus in this moment knew exactly who he was, so he got up. You see, so often we read the Bible not as it is, but as we are. And I've always read this passage in a completely different way. I've never realized that Jesus actually did this to show the full extent of his love. I've pictured Jesus as walking into that room and seeing the disciples and going, taking the pride of place, taking the prominent position and going, oh my goodness, I'm about to go and you're doing it again? Like really, guys? And like kind of just, okay, well, I've got to show them how this all works and taking off his garment and putting on a towel and getting down and doing their feet, washing their feet and then saying, see guys, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But that's because I'm reading the Bible as I am, not as he is. He, he, he actually just went, I've got to show them my love. I've got to show them how much I love them. And I know that my time's coming to an end and I know exactly who I am. I know I've come from God. I know my authority. So it's time to take this garment off. And this garment was not just any garment. It was a garment directed for him to wear in both Numbers 15, 38 and Deuteronomy 22 and verse 12. This garment was a garment that was given to the Jewish people to wear with long fringes to remind them of who they are and who their God was. I stopped at the airport recently and there were all these like funky dudes get out of a car and they had like no socks and shoes. So I knew that they were really, really cool because... I don't think they use cool anymore. Katie told me it means constipated, overweighted old lady, but I'm not sure about that either. (laughs) They had no socks and shoes and jeans rolled up and sick jackets and cool fedora hats and then these fringes out the ends of their shirts. They were Jewish men all hopping out of the car, still wearing their fringes. Jesus took that off because he wasn't going to let anything stop him from showing the full extent of his love. And if Jesus was in that moment able to 
take that off to ho- that what would hold him back from loving in order to put on a towel? I want to ask us the question this morning, what do we need to remove in order to love others? What is it this morning that you need to remove to love others? Is it your sense of justice that's stopping you from loving others? Is it your sense of pride that's stopping you from loving others? Is it your sense of superiority that's stopping you from loving others? Is it your sense of inferiority that's stopping you from loving others? Whatever it is, if Jesus could take off a garment that identified him as a rabbi, if he could take that garment off in order to put on a towel, what is it that you can take off in order to say, I'll do whatever it takes. If Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes, I'll do whatever it takes. Number one, remove. Number two, remain. You see, Jesus knew who he was, so he got up from the meal. Like I just said, I I read it as I am, and I read it completely different from that. No one is walking around today saying, Bron is love, hey. Bron is love. Like they might say Bron is loving. They might say Bron like has flashes of kindness, but they're not saying Bron is love. That's because I'm not love, but God is love. God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy, he does not boast, he's not proud, he's not rude. God is love. We might have flashes of those things. We might show externally some of those things. But internally we're a hot mess, pretty regularly. But God is love. And so we need to remain in him. Not only do we need to take off whatever it is that's stopping us from loving people, we need to remain in him. We need to remove and we need to remain in him. Because he is love. He goes on in chapter 14 and has a whole discourse on remaining in him, but it would take too long to talk about this morning. But suffice it to say that we can't do it on our own. We are not love. He is love and we need to remain in him. In the the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. A better rendering of that apparently uh, in the original language is that Father who is as close as my next breath... I stop and become aware of you. Remain, remain in him in these moments where our flesh or our just, you know what I think, you know what I'm talking about, just that that goes on in our guts sometimes when we see someone who's hurt us, just that, just to go, my father who is as close as my next breath, I stop and become aware of you. I take the focus off what's going on in here and I point my eyes to you, Jesus, because you are love and you are the one who is able to serve people in the midst of your despair, to remain in him. Remove, remain. And uh, number three is release. Release. I love what Mel brought this morning about betrayal. You see, if it was me and Judas stepped up to the basin to get his feet washed, I'm like, I'm like, uh, like I'm, getting some steel wool to rub his feet down. And then, you know, I'm like, you dare betray me! Like, nabbed him like Spider-Man with a web or something. Just, you're staying right there, buddy. Like, if I I realised where I'd come from and where I'm going and all authority's being placed under my feet, I'm stopping Judas right there. But Jesus lovingly washed his feet. And then they got to the meal and they broke bread and he gave Jesus, uh, Judas, sorry, the bread... And he said, what you're about to do, too quickly. And he released him in that moment. Then Jesus goes on to the garden later on and, and Judas brings everyone there. He knows Jesus so well and Jesus' routine so well that he knows exactly where Jesus is going to be. That's how close they are. 
And, and Jesus has gone ahead. Judas isn't there yet, but he's gone ahead with a, a couple of his very best mates, his closest mates. And he said, this is the, the hour that I'm just, I'm busted, guys. I need your help. Can you just pray with me, please? I'm busted. I just need you to stay awake and pray with me. And it says that he went a little bit further and he fell on his face. And he said, God, if you can just take this from me, please do it. If there's a, can you just have a second option here? If there's, if there's another moment that you can take just to take this off me, please do it. And he follows it with those words that we all know, but not my will, but yours be done, dear God, dear Father. And he goes back to his best mates who he's left and they're all asleep on the ground. And he wakes them up and says, fellas, come on. This is the hour I need you the most. How can you just leave me right now? Can you please just stay awake and just pray? I need you in this moment. And he goes again and he prays exactly the same thing. God, if this cup can be taken from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And he goes back to his mates. They're asleep again. He doesn't bother waking them up this time. He just goes back and prays again and asks again, God, please. And then he comes back and in comes Judas with the guards and everyone ready to arrest him. And Judas says to the guards, it's going to be the guy that I kiss. And Judas comes and goes to embrace Jesus. You or me, what are we doing? Like really in that moment, we know what he's coming for. Like we're having a how dare you moment, aren't we? You dog, like how could you? Just like the holy indignation. If anyone had a right to, it was Jesus. How could you in this moment? But he says, friend, you could have come in the daylight, but you come in the dark to betray me. And in everything about him suggests just releasing Judas. Like, Judas, I know what you're doing, but I release you to do it. And in our lives, there's been people that have hurt us. Can we just release them? It's hurt us so much and it's a deep hurt and, and, and the betrayal is real and, and we feel everything that's been stripped away from us. But can we just think of Jesus and what he was doing in that moment and how he constantly released Judas and just release those people to God? You know, I don't, I'm not sure about the theology of it. I'm not sure about how much of Jesus' uh, divinity he had at that moment. It said that he emptied himself. So I don't know that he didn't know that Judas wasn't going to repent after the cross and still be an apostle and build the early church. I don't know that. I don't know that he knew that Judas was going to hang himself. Maybe. You can tell me later. But he could have in that moment known that he was dying even for Judas' sins. He, in fact, was. He was going to the cross even for Judas' sins. He released him again and again and again. And I wonder this morning if there's someone that the Holy Spirit's just bringing to your mind and just saying, can you release them? Can you just release them? So John chapter 13, verse 35. This is how big the stakes are for us to get this right. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, if we don't love one another, this is how high the stakes are, then we are showing the world to not be his disciples. Like crumbs. We need to get this right. And so this morning, I just am going to ask the, the band to come. And, uh, and I'll ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just so that you can block distractions out more than anything. No one's going to take your handbag. It's all good in this moment. Just brought distractions out. And I wonder which of these you need to make your confession. 
is it that you need to take something off and just say, God, I've held on to this feeling of superiority for too long. I've held on to this feeling that with that guy, he's just an idiot. Like my, my own opinion, my own confession, whatever it is for so long, I just need to remove that from myself. If Jesus was willing to take off his identifying garment of being who he was to the men around him, then I'm willing to take off whatever it is for myself. I'm willing to remove that. Holy Spirit, show us what we need to remove this morning. If you're someone who just is like, I need to remain in you, I'm just trying to do this in my own strength and it is not working, then just quietly to Jesus right now and under your breath, if you just pray that to him, I need you, Jesus, to get this right. And if you might need to release someone this morning that the Holy Spirit brought to your mind, and let me tell you that, these three things get done continually over and over and over again. And that's all right. Let's not stop doing them. Let's not stop remaining in him, removing whatever it takes and releasing people. I had a relationship years ago that I thought would never, I thought that we'd be friends until we died. It was that kind of friendship. And overnight it went from being the closest friendship I'd ever had, like platonic friendship, to being nothing at all. Just no contact at all, nothing. And I reckon it took about a year just to grieve that friendship. Maybe longer. And that's all right. It's all right to grieve something that you've lost. That's okay. Don't worry about that if you're feeling that grief. But the time came where I had to release them. And then after that, the time came where I had to bless them. I thought everything was done. I thought the work was done when I'd released them, but I actually had to bless them. God spoke to me in my devotions and said, it's time for you to pray a prayer of blessing over that household. You know how clever God is? It meant that every time something good happened to them, I was able to say, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. It was like I had a part in the good things that were happening to them that previously I would have been disgruntled over or resentful over. All of a sudden I was like, God, you're a prayer answering God. You love me. You're answering my prayers. So whether it's releasing that person this morning or blessing them, I just encourage you to take a moment to release them in Jesus' name or to bless them in Jesus' name. And there's one final thing that I'd like us to do, which... I just really feel led to do, and I hope it's not too strange for you guys. I haven't done it at home. So I just really feel led to add a fourth R to this message, and that's to repent, remain, remove, release, and repent. Because the Bible says that if we don't love, it says that if we love one another, that that's how the whole world will know that we're his disciples. And I wonder if there's another ministry another Christian, another church that you've ever bagged out, that you've ever had an opinion about that you didn't need to have, that you've ever spoken about that you didn't need to speak. And if you you were brought up in a Catholic church, then you're going to be totally okay with this. You might be a little bit uncomfortable if you're anyone else, but I'm just going to ask us to kneel right now because, oh my goodness, you might be old like me and really find that difficult. But I just really feel the need to repent because this is the stuff that Jesus says is really important. And if you're, you know, your knees are too bad or whatever, or you didn't dress for this moment, that's totally fine. But don't let anything stop you that is just apart from practical things. 
And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you agree with me today, please say amen at the end of it. God, I'm so sorry because you died for all of us, God. And Lord, you said that when there were people that weren't even of you that were preaching you, you said it's great that they're preaching Jesus. And God, yet I've had opinions about stuff that I've needed to have no opinions about. No one needed to hear my opinion. No one needed to hear my voice on that subject, God. I want to be someone who always lifts other Christians up, Lord. I want to be someone who does what you asked us in your word. And so, God, I repent right now of every time that I've spoken badly, that I've bagged out ministries or Christians, that I've judged people who are trying to do their best for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, let me only speak when you lead me to, to give a voice to those who are powerless. Don't let me speak from my position of power or privilege, God. I repent of that in Jesus' name. And I ask that we would be your church and go forward in glory and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.